Nothing changed. Um, so tonight we're going to be uh, we're going to be addressing, um, in a generic sense, we're going to be addressing doubt. Um, and I would say doubt is one of the most common things that infiltrates the Christian life um, on any level. Um, God's goodness, God's love. Um, I would say even um, most of us have probably doubted God's existence at some point. And so I would say Christianity is latent with doubt as we progress. Um, what are some of the things that you have doubted um, just in general about Christianity? Just a couple things real quick. Yeah. Um, whether it's real. Like I, I, I believe in, I'm a more scientifically minded, and so I've like gone through the science and like it makes more sense, but I still can't see it. Right. So what am I even doing? Okay. Other things that we've doubted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. Um, the the scriptures, like where they came from, et cetera, oh, et cetera. Yeah, I feel All that. that. That's a huge category. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really doubt as much as it's doubting myself in the area of am I going to be the guy who goes up there and just says, Depart from me for I never knew. Right. And I think doubt about our salvation is one of the more common things that at least at some point you experience in your Christian walk. Um, but I also think it's one of the most superficially treated topics in the church. Um, you're going to hear something more like, um, okay, cool, those who believe in Christ become the sons of God. Are you sure you believed? Yes. Okay, therefore you became a son of God. And it's just superficially addressed and moved on from. Um, and so we wanted to take a little bit deeper treatment into it. Um, Isaiah 32, 17. This is where I want to start because where God grants righteousness, in turn, peace, quietness, assurance flow out of that. When we have assurance of where we are in our standing with Christ, a lot of good comes from that. Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. New Testament, on the other hand, um, also speaks very highly of assurance. Uh, Colossians 2, 2, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, Hebrews 6, 11, Hebrews 10, 22. Uh, Colossians 2, 2, first. Um, another translation instead of full riches has full assurance of their salvation. First uh, Thessalonians one five. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. The gospel comes with full conviction, full assurance. Hebrews six eleven. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that you hope may be for may be fully realized. Our hope that we have right now, we want it to be fully realized. Hebrews ten twenty two. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with full assurance that faith brings us brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. And finally we see faith and full assurance tied once again. As you can see up here, I wrote these down, Joanna suggested that I write them down. I want to fall in, uh, kind of delineate a couple categories um, that people can fall into. 
if you think about it from uh, two different perspectives, there is, we would affirm that believers are eternally secure. This is the idea that once an individual is saved, it is permanent, it is final, they're saved. You can't lose your salvation. That's something we've talked about in this series quite a while ago. This is an objective truth. So I want you to think about security, kind of from God's perspective. If a believer is truly saved, written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're secure, secure that is an objective fact. Um, what do I mean when I say objective versus subjective? What's the difference there? Yes, Joe, I know you love this for nursing. <laughs> okay, I do this, we deal with this all the time in, um, in nursing, but you have subjective and objective data. So subjective is like, Anything that is an opinion, something that cannot be validated, like if a patient said, I feel nauseous, or my pain is 8 out of 10, like that's their opinion, I as a nurse cannot validate that, right? It's all them saying that. But something that would be objective is factual, it can be validated, like if I take the patient's blood pressure, that is that number. Like, you know, it is what it is, it doesn't matter what the patient feels, that is their blood pressure. So something that is objective is factual, it's unchanging, you know, it is like concrete. Subjective then would be how you perceive that. So not only do we affirm that the objective fact is true, that once you are saved, you are secure in Christ, but we also would affirm that one can have assurance, that you can have the subjective experience of that security. Now, certain camps would deny this. Um, the Arminian camp, in some strands of it, would deny this. The um, people of the Roman Catholic persuasion would often deny this. And um, some of the logic um, would go that it will lead to apathy, to spiritual regress if you feel secure. For, like The logic being, if I'm saved and I know I'm saved, if I know I'm chosen of God and I can't lose that, therefore... Why not go out and sin? Why not do whatever I want to do because it doesn't matter in the end? Does that logic make sense a little bit? Okay, and so there are some camps who deny that entirely. For instance, um, the Council of Trent, which we will get to. Um, but I think 1 John teaches strongly against that with this verse, 1 John 5.13. This is the entire purpose of the epistle. 1 John 5.13 encapsulates why he wrote it. And that's why we're going into 1 John in the coming weeks because this is exactly the purpose that he had for the entire letter. I write these things, things to you who believe in, in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, may know that, he, that you have, have eternal life. He writes these things to you so that you can know, uh, like you can know it, that you have eternal life, which is a, which is a fantastic blessing. Um, some, however, ha say that they deny that you can have assurance because it is presumption on God's predestination of you. Um, listen to these words from the Council of Trent from the 1600s. No one can know with a certainty of faith which cannot be subject to error that he has obtained the grace of God. No one, moreover, so long as he is in this mortal life, ought so far as to presume as regards the secret mystery of divine predestination as to determine for certainly that he is assuredly in the number of the predestinate as if it were true that he that is justified either cannot sin anymore or if he do sin that he ought to promise himself an assured repentance. For except by special revelation it cannot be known whom God hath chosen unto himself. If anyone shall say that a man who is born again and justified is bound of faith to believe that he is assuredly in the number of the predestined, let him be anathema. 
So there's these camps that say it's basically a sin of presumption to believe that you can be assured of the objective facts. Does that make sense? We would deny that on the grounds that we see that whenever the gospel is presented, the apostles wanted people to have assurance and letters were written for that express purpose so that people can have assurance. These four categories sort of address what um, we have talked about in the past few weeks. So one can be not secure yet assured. That is, they think they're all good, but in the objective sense, they are not okay before God. And we've covered that at length over the past few weeks. Um, from there, um, we can have someone who is secure in Christ, and they know that they are not, and they not know that they're assured of salvation. So not secure. Excuse me. If let me rephrase that. If if they are not a genuine Christian and they don't feel that they are secure in Christ, they can be not not secure and not assured. And that's kind of a more positive position than the prior one because you at least know what your standing is. You don't, you're not self-deceived. Um, you can be not secure and assured. We've covered that. Um, but you can also be secure and not assured. So the objective fact isn't there, but you live a life of doubt, a life of questioning, which it, if, you have, if you've kind of gone through these strains of doubt, you know that that's not a fruitful way to live. It's a, just a continual struggle and you beat your head against the wall and you don't make any spiritual progress. So we want to take people who are secure, objective fact, but they're struggling inside and move them to not only are they still secure, but they can also rest in Christ and have that assurance. And so that's why tonight we're going to cover some reasons that people may um, just struggle with assurance and not, not knowing for sure where they stand. Um, Let's go, um, do you guys all know what prayer groups you were in? Okay. Um, so however you want to organize that, if you want to call out groups as we move through, that might be the best way um, so that we know when we're going to go. The, I have seven reasons. Now, this is not an inspired list. This is just some common practical things that I think we will find applicable for why people may doubt their salvation or struggle with assurance. Reason number one that people may lack assurance. Some lack assurance because they have been under preaching that elevates God's holy standards. High, holy preaching that makes people feel that they don't live up to that standard. So some preaching can be very confrontive and convicting, and you can see in yourself that you are so sinful. You can see how sinful as a creature you are and how holy God is, and you feel that you are woefully short of that and it can cause you to be shaky in your assurance. Now is it all bad that the pulpit may create in you an anxious heart? No. One of the jobs of the pulpit is to take people who are not secure but assured and shake them up and be like, hey, think about your life. What are you, what are you doing? Where are you at? So it's not entirely bad, but if you're under that high holy standard all the time, it may cause inside of you some feelings that I just don't measure up to the standard of Christianity. One of the best examples I can think of this is um, how many of you were here when we did the when we played Paul Washer's sermon? Okay, that how, did that not make you feel a little shaky inside? Of course, because his preaching is hard, convicting, 
it's biblical. It's holding you to a high holy standard. And so inside, you t- you're like, what? What's happening? And you really take an honest assessment of your life. So that's one of the possible things that may cause it. Now, this is not often an issue because not a lot of pulpits today are convicting and confronting and holding a high standard of what Scripture teaches. But it is possible for some who have grown up, especially in those strict conservative environments that I know are represented in this group right here. You want to have group one go? Yes, um, Chloe's group. Okay, so uh, we're a little like confused. Uh, let me rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> can you explain like what we were supposed to have done, and if we haven't, then I can just cover it up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, what has caused you to lack assurance of your salvation, or, in a more generic sense, what's caused you to doubt your relationship with God? And we're saying one answer for our entire group. There can or be more. There can be many answers, but I was just we were seeing if some things were in common. Okay. Do you want me to come back and we do a different group first? I can switch. But we'll, switch well, just give me a second. Okay. <laughs> so I can. One of our, we all four had different answers. Okay. And so that was really interesting. Um, I know for mine, it was relationships with other people who believe differently. Okay. Um, Where someone else in our group said that not feeling like you're enough, like, Mm -hmm. wow, it may be like, well, I see other Christians and they're at this standard and I'm not. So am I even a Christian? Like, am I where God wants me to be or am I even a Christian? Yes. Um, So I thought that was interesting because, like, we were all like, oh, let's pick one, and we all four had um, different. But those were kind of like our top two. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's very similar to the first in some ways. You you see other people who are living it out at tip-top level, and you're like, something is obviously not right in my life if I'm not there. Right. And so kind of that comparison of spiritual growth, mm-hmm. I think, is a, a, a very good one. Yes? Well, I just had a question. Yeah. How do you determine what that level is? Because isn't, isn't it different for everyone? Does everyone define that kind of life differently? Are you saying for how, like, how, are you saying for how, um, how far grown somebody is in their spiritual walk? And like when you say that some people don't feel like they can keep up, mm-hmm. keep up that high holy standard. Aren't there? Do you think Christians define that standard differently? I think that there is a sense in which people people do define it differently. Um, but I think one of the important things in that discussion is. And this is one of the things that we try to hammer out here in this group is we come from a lot of different backgrounds and we've all been told a lot of different things. And so one of the main goals of this group and of every lesson is to question and see what scripture actually says. And if scripture presents something entirely different from what I have grown up with and been told that's wrong or that's right my entire life, then it's on me to change in response to that scripture. So I I think Christians often do define it differently, but that might not be correct. And it's really living your life in accordance with scripture. Does that make sense? Okay. Did you have something you wanted to add to that, Joe? Um, I just, I thought of it in sort of like the opposite way as well, because um, for people who are not Christians, 
because it talks about in Romans where it says, you know, everyone falls short of the glory of God, mm-hmm. right? So no one is good enough. There's nothing at all that you can do to gain salvation, right? Like there is, we are incapable because we are sinners and God is perfect. And so there's a gap there. And so like I told somebody like this one time, if you um, jump into the Pacific Ocean and you're like, I'm going to swim to Hawaii, you might make it farther than me, I might make it farther than you, but like, we're not getting to Hawaii, right? It is not possible. Um, So, you know, some people may be different in their, in their life beforehand, but then, you know, once, once God saves you and you become a Christian and your desires change, um, you know, you're going to be at a different level of, of holiness, of, you know, being like in the image of of Jesus and conforming to the image of Jesus than somebody maybe who's been a Christian for 30 years. Yes. Right, because they've had more time to have a longer relationship with with Christ and they've had more time for him to, you know, for the Holy Spirit to convict them of certain things and to challenge them in certain areas. Um, And time is not like the one defining standard. You know, somebody can be a Christian for a long time and still be where you are. So that's not, you know, I don't want to limit it to time. But I think there's absolutely differences in where people are, but you all still have the same standard, and that is to be like Christ. Right. And that's what's outlined in Scripture, but nobody is able to get there until we are glorified for eternity in heaven. Right. But, um, but I think different people are at different places and can have different immediate goals, at least. And I think Paul addresses that in Corinthians when he says we're transformed from glory to glory. He's saying there's, you know, you're taking steps and you're you're progressing onward and upward. At least that's the life of sanctification. That's that's the whole point. As a Christian, we're supposed to be moving onward and upward until we're permanently upward. Reason number two that some people lack assurance. Some lack assurance because they cannot accept forgiveness. Some lack assurance because they can't accept forgiveness. Um, I, th- I think of myself in light of this one. I look back over my life and I see all the sins, blunders, and failures along the way. It can be overwhelming when you sit under that guilt of what you have done wrong in the past. To the point where you cannot live in the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so you become, you start struggling. Am I assured of my salvation? If this is who I am, and you start to define yourself by those sins that you've committed in the past, you wonder if you're defined by Christ at all. Um, our, conscience is, our conscience is really good at condemning us. The law of God is really good at condemning us. That's what the law's purpose was. Um, until we come to Christ, as we talked about last week. And then, finally, our inner sense of justice is only good to condemn us, too, because we feel that having done wrong, we should be punished. There's a natural sense of justice that is in us. And so those three things combined, we get that sense of guilt. Um, Revelation 12, 9 through 10. I want you to know... And this might, I'm saying a little bit of hyperbole here, but those who fall into this trap willingly crown, willingly crown the devil king. Which sounds really strong, but listen to Revelation um, 12, 9 through 10. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, 
the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. One of Satan's roles in his life is to stand before God and call us bad names and bring up all the bad stuff that we've done. Now, as we're going to learn in 1 John, Christ is there as an advocate to intercede for us, and that's one of the most blessed things about being a Christian. But that plays right into the devil's hand because he's just bringing up to God all the bad things that you have ever done in your life. He accuses us to God, and so it plays right into the devil's hand. One of the Puritans in the 1600s grasped this quote very well, um, grasped this idea very well. Yea, further, he that lacks assurance of God's love converses too much with Satan, as he that has the assurance of God's love converses with Christ, the Spirit bearing witness to him that he's a child of God. So he that lacks assurance converses with Satan, and Satan, though falsely, bears witness to his Spirit that he is not a child of God. And it is not a misery to be in those conversations. And is it not a misery to be in those conversations with Satan, to be under his hellish droppings? Oh, what a pain it is to lie bedridden, bedridden of an unbelieving heart. The devil is always falling and tempting me to suspect the love of Christ, and he does it so that he may attain his mind upon me. For the devil knows well enough, catch this, that the more I suspect Christ's love, the more I shall embrace Satan's love. The truth is, beloved, the lack of assurance of God's love or interest in Christ is an inlet to many sins and miseries. For first a man doubts his own salvation, afterwards he has continued doubting, then he rises up until a full conclusion saying, Now know I that Christ does not love me. I did but doubt before, but now I know he does not love me. And after that, he has risen to this conclusion, then shortly after he says, If Christ does not love me now, he shall never love me. And if I have not an interest in Christ now, after all the preaching I've heard and ordinances I've enjoyed, I shall never have it. And so the longer I live, the more I aggravate my condemnation. That Puritan really got it. The more that he embraced Satan's lies, the more he doubted Christ's love for him. He went on to um, draw a, kind of an analogy, and he painted a picture of a child being a street, and he said, he went up to the child and asked, where's your father? And the child was like, I know not. And he asked, where's your mother? And the child said, I know not. And he turned around and asked, who is your father? What is your father's name? And the child said, I know not. And he went on to say how pitiful it is that we, in our spiritual sense, debate between who our father is, if we're children of the devil or children of God. If you went up to a child on the street and they're like, I don't even know who my dad is, you would be, you'd be heartbroken for them. And in the same way, we should be heartbroken for those who debate whether or not they're even children of God. I thought that was a very deep, profound thing for that Puritan to grasp. Group number two. Nathan, what you got? Josh's group. Let's <coughs> go with that. I lost my group. Do we want to do, wanna do Josh's group? Yeah. Yeah. I just have such a good one. It's just so good. I, it was such a great conversation. Um, right. No, seriously, it was a really good conversation. We had a yeah, great conversation. Uh, so, so basically, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. It's stalling. 
going to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, no way. We we're just we we're just talking about what defines your faith. So like, what actually is your faith made of? And it's it was, so we're like, it's not made of works. Uh, but avoidance of sin is one of the things. But also, to purely avoid sin, but not also recognize Christ, doesn't make you really Christian. And so, what is truly faith, and how do you measure it? And so that was kind of our thing. Was like, all right, what makes this thing up? Because, you know, I'm, I think, just now we're talking about, like. We're very. We measure things. We're like yeah. kind. Of, we're fairly numerical, and I want to be able to see what makes this thing up. What are the constituent parts that make it work and click, mm-hmm. so that I can control the whole. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know that about my faith. I kind of feel fairly blind in it, and I don't know whether that's virtuous or not. Yeah. You know, is it virtuous to be blind, or should I understand it, so that I can make it what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So, just what makes it up? What is it? Is it just a simple studying of God and a pursuit of God, or is it a surrender mm-hmm. to the concept that I'll never really fully know God? So, and so, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like what really is faith in the context of believing in God, believing Christ is who He says He is, and accepting the gospel? I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty good way of putting it. Think. Yeah. Also, just on a, just like with not meaning thinking we don't need the standard at times, you know, mm-hmm. and with that, um, how oftentimes we dwell on what we're doing wrong, and we just constantly dwell on that, and we don't dwell on what's pure, what's lovely, you know, of good reproach, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things that we're told to think about, we don't think about those things, we think about where we fall short, and that's right. all we think about, and, you know, and that, and then we feel like, oh, wow, I'm sinning, so how am I a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willingly sinning, and, you know, there are strong warnings in the Bible about that. And so so what, I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that as we think about assessing ourselves, we're, like, struggling to even see where's the bar yeah. to know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think, I think it's, it sounds on the surface like a simple question, but then you begin to think about it. It's like, all right, the bar. It's like, oh, well, just, you know. Like, there's some basic rules that you follow, like, you know, don't do drugs, try not to have sex before you're married. Like, you know, there's some rules, but then it's, then the conversation becomes, okay, but is that it? Right. Like, you know, to be a good Mm -hmm. child to your parent, it's not just don't do these things. It's, we want to see you thrive. So how do you measure that fruit as well? And the Bible talks about how Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll be able to measure them by their fruit. Yep. But that's not a, that's not inherently assuming that only good will produce good fruit. Who you are, you produce the fruit mirroring who you are, whether you're bad or good. And so you can judge people based on their fruit. So to say that I am good because my fruit is good, well, what makes it good? And what's that bar? To even, you know, to even complicate the issue more, and this kind of goes back to Hillary's comment, Jesus said that some bear, some bear 10 fruit, some bear 30, some bear 50, but all who are... Christians will bear fruit, basically. Mm-hmm. So there's differing amounts, different levels of sanctification, and how far you've gone in your walk, but we're all bearing fruit, yeah. It's kind of like the story when the woman gives two pennies. Right. Yep. You know, you know, some people think, oh, like she only, like compared to me, I, I gave so much, like, and so much more. more. But, you know, Jesus said, this is an example of... Yes. Right. Yeah. And there is an absolute standard in God's word. I want to make sure that's clear out of all this. And one of the 
confusion is natural. I think we've all been there in that confusion. That's what makes First John so great, is that when we're trying to figure out what the bar is, he's saying, if you know God, then this. And don't be deceived. You're a liar if you do that. You know, he makes it very plain. John, of all people, is very black and white, which is actually very helpful for us to think about these complex issues with where Paul's a little bit more like, in this situation. What are you going to say? I'm just going to say that um, the standard is set. Um, there is a, a standard that for being a Christian, yes, but then there is a standard that is perfection, that this is what God requires of you if you were to be saved by your own works, and that is clearly presented by um, the Bible. And it's presented to show us our in, our inadequacy. Oh my goodness, if I could speak. Um, inadequacy uh, in ourselves, and so to force us to rely on Christ. Right. So, Reason number three that people lack assurance. Some lack assurance because they do not understand the gospel fully and the plan of salvation. When we're considering, you know, yes, all Christians bear fruit, and we've gone over that extensively, but we cannot be perfect. We cannot be perfect. And that is where we have to have this full understanding of the gospel. Some lack understanding when it comes to grace, as we, we've already talked about this. Some people lack understanding of forgiveness. Um, some people misunderstand doctrines, presuming that it is a combination of good works and God's grace. And that's where we have to be careful as we talk about good works from not falling into that heresy, is that it is all Christ and it's all his righteousness on our account. We just, in a loving response to that grace, just our, because of the Spirit indwelling us, we're so like just in response of love to God, we pour out fruit. Um, but those who believe it is a combination of God's effort and man's effort, a synergism of sort, um, we would also generally affirm that God's not going to fail his end of the deal. And so if you believe it is a combination of man's effort, God's effort, who are you going to look to to fail except yourself? You think... God's not going to fail, but I might fail. And that, if that's what you believe, that's a genuine possibility. And so it's the fact that we can be tormented with the possibility that we might fail and we might lose our salvation because it depends on us. And so until somebody comes to the full understanding that salvation is all of God and all of God's saving, choosing, and pursuing us, then you can still fall into that trap. Um, Isaiah 43:25. Here's one of the most amazing facts. And if, if you, I don't know, I love this phrase. What, God, what you can't forget, God can't remember. What you can't forget, God can't remember. Isaiah 43:25. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. He, what you can't forget in your own life, the mistakes you've made and the issues you've gone through, God can't remember. He puts them away from his mind. And that's an amazing truth of the gospel. Um, Romans 8, 38 through 39, 2 Timothy 1, 12. This isn't, um, when, when we talk about assurance and the gospel, this is not merely an emotional, psychological thing. Um, but rather, Paul speaks of his assurance in rational, logical terms. This isn't just some out in, this, out in space, 
uh, esoteric feeling that you may have, but rather you've been convinced of this and you can know it. It's not just a fleeting feeling. It's not that you had a good lunch. It's that you have come to a full assurance. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul didn't say, I am feeling like nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He said, I'm convinced. Now, how did he become convinced? all of the eight chapters leading up to that beautiful moment in Romans where you know he works through how we were sinners and all the wonderful doctrines, those doctrines can really underpin your thinking to where you become so connected with them that you are convinced of the truth. Second uh, Timothy 1.12. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Another translation has persuaded. You know, he's, it's a rational thing. He is coming to the point in his relationship with God where he has just been convinced that it's true. It's not so much about the feelings, but boom. I'm, I believe God and I'm working towards that. actually show that I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first became, when I when I think I actually became a Christian, um, I doubted it a lot, and that's actually what made me become a Christian, which is interesting. But um, I was doubting it because I didn't think I would ever be good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not a, like, why would God want me? Right. Um, and then later in life, it became more of a, my life doesn't show it. Like, I was, I was stuck right. in this repetitive sin thing. Right. And I couldn't, like, break out of it, so I'm like, how can I be a Christian if I'm still stuck? Right. Yeah. And mine was kind of the same thing, because, um, like, a few years ago, I was in life-dominating sin, and for that, like, that made me doubt, seriously, that it's like, how can I be stuck in this to be a Christian? But when I came out of that, then it helped me to see, it's like, well, maybe I actually was, because I didn't see that God didn't let it go further. You know, and I saw his hand and the spirit because the spirit was convicting me. I just wasn't listening. I wasn't doing anything about it. Um, but the spirit was convicting me, and you know, so it it helped bring me assurance through the fact that I was then able to see that God brought me out of it and steered me away to not let me go further. Yes. Um, yes. And another one for me was um, when when I was young and um, first became a Christian wanted that for myself, you know, because I grew up in a Christian home, but um, when I decided that that was, like, that was what I wanted, it wasn't just me following my parents to church, right? Um, and, you know, we, in America, we're a little bit obsessed with the whole sinner's prayer idea, you know, but that whole thing, like, as a kid, when I, when I prayed with my dad, um, and, you know, in my mind, like, that was when I became a Christian, but even after that, like, I prayed it again multiple times because I wasn't sure if I did it right. Right. You know, and um, was my prayer good enough? Did I say the right words? Did I do whatever? And so I had a misunderstanding of the gospel and of the grace of God because I didn't fully understand that 
that it was only, like, it was by God's grace that I was saved. It was not because I prayed a certain prayer. It wasn't because I did something. You know, like, there was nothing about me that had to do with, you know, what we talked about with um, Nicodemus, you know, with being born again. It's like, you didn't play a role in your birth. Your mom <laughs> played a role in your birth, but you really did nothing. But it's the same thing with God. And so, you know, once I was able to understand that it's like it wasn't even up to me, you know, and I understood the fullness of the grace of the gospel, that it was God that, that rescued me and that saved me, then it was like, oh, you know, okay, mm -hmm. I didn't have to repeat that a bunch of times because the work had already been done. So. I'm going to go with the next two um, because I think they, they, they encapsulate what you've said very well. Reason number four that people lack assurance. Some people may lack assurance because they can't remember an exact moment of salvation. Right? Like, I mean, now, there are some groups um, who would teach that justification is progressive. That it's not an instantaneous moment where we are justified before God. There are groups that teach that. And that's not what I'm talking about here. But what I am saying is, if, if I were to say, you know, I don't remember being born... So I don't believe that I'm born, or that I'm alive, or I don't remember that I got here. I don't remember that every plane flight that I arrived safely, therefore, I probably didn't arrive safely. You know, we'd be like, that is the dumbest logic I have heard in a couple hours. Um, Did you hear that, guys? It's almost as if Sam M's spirit is still, still, huh? it is still unaware that he died in a plane crash. This is all the dreams. <laughs> For many of us, we have absolutely, we have absolutely been saved, you know, using these methodologies: raise hand, pray a prayer, go forward, you know, go out and see your counselor, you know, at a camp or whatever. But we are not saved because of these methods. We are saved in spite of these methods. It's if you were to ask me, have you been a Christian all your life? I would answer not yet, but obviously that's looking forward. Like, I, I mean, do I exactly know when I became a Christian? I mean, I have some moments, you know, decisions were made, things were done. But if you have grown up in a Christian household, like most of us have here, and I would say most of us by and large have not gone through this, you know, wild rebellious stage where you are sinning vehemently and then you turn to Christ, and, you know, it's this wonderful dramatic testimony that we all cry out at, you know, banquets and stuff. <laughs> but... If you just kind of, you know, you're like, man, I have a boring testimony. I, I, I mean, I don't really ever remember not having faith in Christ. Okay. It's right. Exactly. Praise God. You have been raised with that faith in you. And so um, just because you can't remember a moment where you went forward and threw a piece of wood into a fire doesn't mean that you don't have faith. And so I know I have heard stories and I, I personally can understand why you point to that moment because we want something so decisive to be like, ah, finally, got it, okay, cool. But as we're seeing, it's not, I don't, I don't know of any moment where Jesus or the apostles were like, hmm, did you, did you like ever pray that prayer? Like, you remember that moment? Okay, cool, I do too, because that, that, that for sure means that you're saved. Like, they were always pointing to your fruit, what's your life like? It was never about that one moment. With that, Reason number five, that people lack assurance. Some may feel the pull of the flesh so strongly and see so few qualities of the new man that they wonder if they're actually a new creation. 
I think one thing we're getting at tonight is that we still have to deal with sin as Christians. I know that sounds like a very obvious thing, but we still have to deal with sin. We're not perfected. We're not to glorification. That's the last step in the golden chain of Romans 8. Um, But throughout the Bible, we see great men of God and women of God sin and yet get up and continue on. Um, So I want, go ahead and turn to um, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. Um, Let's go ahead and have that read. We're going to go into this passage in more detail probably later in the series. But this is the, this is almost on par with how important 1 John is to testing the faith. Um, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. I want you to hear the objective facts of security in this passage. Go ahead. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these things you might partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption So there are these objective facts. You have these promises that God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have all these objective truths. But then you see the subjective side, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, um, yes, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. So when you have these qualities, you will not be useless and unproductive as a Christian. As we've um, been instructed in various fashions to examine ourselves um, and teachers that don't produce fruit. So this is very relevant for us. The next verses are very important though. Because when you don't have these qualities... We become blinded and unable to discern and determine if we are a genuine Christian. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So if you don't possess these qualities and you're growing in increasing measure, not only are you short-sighted, but you're blind and unable to discern because you don't have fruit. And what's one of the main things that we've been given to qualify if we're a genuine Christian by? Our fruit. And so if you don't have any fruit, he's like, forget it. You don't have any way to determine. So when people ask me, what's like, what's too much sin? What's to the point where like I'm sinning enough or not bearing enough fruit to where I can't know? My answer to that is always, I don't know and neither can you. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Because when you forfeit your fruit and you quit growing, how are you supposed to know? I don't know if it's too much. That is, I mean, uh, that is something between you and God at the end of the day, but how are you supposed to assess yourself honestly? Like, you're, you're left without bearings. And so that's why it is such an important thing to be able to bear fruit because then we will not be useless in fruit. Like, uh, just read verse 10 11, it says better. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For, you, for if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich 
welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So unlike the Council of Trent, when it says, says don't presume on the predestination of God, what Peter says here is make your calling and election sure. Like, let's take a look. You, you, you by bearing this fruit, can make your calling and election sure. You will know and you will not stumble and you'll be supplied a rich entrance into the kingdom of God. So that is what, as we're measuring what's enough, what's not enough, it's important to remember that, you know, this is one of the things that we're gauged by. And so I can't answer that question, but neither can you answer that question. So that's one of the things I want to consider in response to your group's answer, Joe, is that, um, both it's not about decisional regeneration, it's not about that moment, but it, it's also important that as we feel those pulls of the unredeemed flesh, it kind of can take away from us being able to discern whether or not we are a Christian. A group and a group, since I went to. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, I had Dominic and Clayton over there, guys. Do you want to say anything? Because I have stuff written down. I will make sure you guys go and talk about what you personally talked about if you guys want to. Or, I mean, we, we had a common theme. We were throwing out multiple things, but I think it was just all in the sense of, uh, you know, it's, it's the marathon of living here on earth trying to get to heaven kind of deal, where sometimes we were wrapped up in sin. We've talked about that, and that has mm -hmm. kind of made us doubt. Sometimes we're suffering a lot, you know, bearing our cross, and that, you know, we would think, like, God, you really want me to do that, and, you know, why are you making us go through pain? That makes us doubt our salvation a little bit. Um, and then uh, it was just, uh, there were other things, too, so, you know, but it was all a sense of, you know, we're trying to stay on the straight and narrow path, and then every so often we're kind of diverging a little bit because of one thing or the other and one of these earthly things. So, you know, it's just trying, that, 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 that was the kind of the main theme. Okay, yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of what Clayton did most of the time. <laughs> um, do you mind if I read something? No, go for it. Okay. I personally, when I had a chance to talk, I talked about how, me personally, I kind of take the world and around me from the writer of Ecclesiastes' perspective sometimes where it's literally all for vain. It's why, just, it makes no sense. And I wrote something down during one of these times, so I'm just gonna read real quick what was going through my head. Um, love the world, hate the world, fix the world, break the world. What's the difference? Does it even matter? Is there anything even worth seeking after? Mm -hmm. It is said the truth will set you free. Does anyone know where the truth might be? Please tell me. Please help me because I'm just too blind to see. I know, go I know God, or at least I believe I do, but I don't know what to do. I've had Christ as my Savior my entire life, but I don't even see a drastic change. Is there a measuring device? My whole life is this raging war, and I have to ask myself, is it worth fighting for? It has to be. Oh Lord, set me free. You told me to take captive my thoughts, but instead, they have took captive me. So that was kind of 
It goes on, but I'm not going to go into that. Can you send that to me, please? Yeah, I want it to. I'll post it in there. Was anyone seeing like a spoken word of Danny like on a stage, like saying all this? I did one. Me and you, Danny. I'll videotape it, make sure you get all the right angles. That was kind of just my thoughts, and that's just how I put it down. God gifted me with that, and so I put it down that way. I want to assure you guys that there actually is a measuring device. Like we've talked about this a lot and extensively throughout the semester, but it's all been leading to First John and I'm glad that you guys are hungry for a measuring device. Um, because that's, I mean, that's the whole, like that's what he said in First John is, I've written these things so that you may know and have assurance. And, and so that's one of the great things about First John. I encourage you to study it on your own so that our time together will be more fruitful. Um, but, these, these seem like, First John is considered sometimes the fundamentals of the faith, um, but it's very rich and very deep. I don't want to th think of it in a superficial sense, but these tests are very simple and objective, like here, here, okay, cool, test, done. And that's one of the things that I think will be very beneficial as we go through this so that we can um, actually have something practical to measure ourselves by. Which group? Oh, I'm so sorry. Rachel's group. I've got it written down. So a common one was basically the second reason it's uh, not accepting forgiveness and not really understanding our salvation um, and getting really wrapped up in like the shame and the like, why would God want me? Um, and then a lot of another common one we all three had was like, am I doing this right? Like. A measuring advice, like third device, and that was pretty much it. We had the feeling like you know, getting very weighed down by the guilt, and I mess up all the time. Why would God want me? Like, what is the reason that God wants us? Because, like, there's we find very little value in ourselves, and then the are me doing this right and is this my own decision and not just like a familial environmental influence <laughs> that's a very interesting thing and um, one of the to me one of the most reassuring things um, about the doctrine of election is it gives us a sense of purpose and one of the one of the things uh, um, I've heard spoken about it is why why did God want us and one of the coolest things about it is that our value, and I think I could support this scripture on another occasion, our value is not inherently found in us, but when God gives us as a gift to Christ to be his bride, you know when you get a really stupid gift from somebody and it doesn't have much value except for the fact that they gave it to you? And you're like, wow, that's now super important to me because they gave it so too our value is found in the fact that God is the giver of us to Christ. And so our value cannot be found in ourselves because you know, we go over these doctrines and it's like we're so depraved and we're so, we're so filthy, but yet we can be so valuable to Christ because God gave us to him. And I, I think I explored that another time. But. My friend gave me a birthday card with nothing but B-movie memes in it. So, oh. <laughs> stupid, but I love it. But so. you love it. <laughs>
Yeah. Dominic, you, you alluded to this. Reason number six. Some people lack assurance because they do not sense God's presence during the storms of life. The testing of our faith, by whether by situational issues such as your child dying or intellectual wrestlings, um, can be very difficult. But people who are people who doubt their relationship with God during times of testing miss out on one of the very most assuring things in their relationship with Him. Tested faith is better than unproven faith. So if you doubt God during that time, you can actually miss out on one of the most assuring devices. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice in verses 1 and 2, you have this objective fact, um, grace and faith producing a relationship with God in a factual sense. Okay, go ahead. Through him we also have obtained... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, after you go through all these trials, it produces hope. Hope of future and relationship with God. So this pressure and, you know, you survive that attack and you press through, it's producing hope. At the end, the end game of it is hope. And that hope does not disappoint because then you have God's love shed abroad in your heart. I want you to think of Valletta. You know, all she's been through, all the tragedy she's been through, yet after all this, she has more hope than most of us here. And this hope in return has poured God's love into her heart. And it's evident. It just beams out of her. It flows out of her. And so all the trials and valleys that she's been through is an assuring device because of how much growth has come out of it. Kind of like uh, James chapter 1 where it talks about uh, tested faith as well. Real quick, for those of you who don't know Melinda, it's like not a character in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> um, she is an older uh, woman of the faith that is actually still living today. She um, is the missionary that we went to pay a visit to a couple weeks ago, actually, um, in place of coming to Bible study here. We went there and she shared her testimony um, and work in the mission field. And so that's who Valetta is, for those of you who were not there or didn't hear about that. If you want to listen to it, it's on podcast. Yeah, and 10 out of 10 recommend it. It was so good. 12 out of 10. 12 out of 10. Prepare to be like, yeah. like, and yeah, it was awesome. Last two groups want to go, and then we have one more uh, thing, real quick. Who are the last two groups remaining, or were there no more groups? We had two groups for the guys. So. Okay. So, Andrew's group. Andrew. My group kind of came to the whole sort of assurance by our works. Um, I don't remember how exactly it is. Let's flip over my notes here. Uh, the uh, you know what I'm talking about though, right? <laughs> Darn it! Um, where your works don't match up there for you. Yeah, where you're at. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There was We are saved through works. I was like, uh, no, actually, I, I don't know exactly. <laughs> One thing we said was. One thing you said was a couple of us actually. I think a lot of us said we get worked up with Amma, with Amma, 
everything going on because yeah we've we've been talking about that for a bit while we were in there we're going through a lot of stuff right now mm -hmm. and I'm uh yeah a lot of us just don't just kind of forget or just neglect to just pull on just choose not to set aside time for God right reason number five that that was what I was looking for yeah 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 um, who was the other group? We had another group. It was our group. It was our group. Okay. Are there any more ladies? Okay. So, um, our group came to, the, the main one was a misunderstanding of what the gospel was and what salvation is. Um, and so, always feeling like you have to, um, did I do it right the last time? Did I actually give my life to Christ? Did I, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so then you end up praying the sinner's prayer over and over and over and over and over again and then um, the the belief that um, you can lose your salvation so like if once you have it that you're no longer secure in it so um, whatever um, so that's kind of like what I grew up in um, thinking that you know it was if I didn't live up to a certain standard if I didn't um, do X Y or Z if I wasn't perfect that was literally like what I viewed my life as, like, if I'm not perfect, I'm not going to make it to heaven. Um, there's a song, it's called 99 and a Half Won't Do, and we'd sing it <laughs> at least once a month. And um, it's a good old Pentecostal song, and everyone loved it. And now that I hear it, it's like I'm about to die. Um, but, so, you know, just the, every time I would sin, I'd be like, was that enough for me to lose my salvation? Or like, what, like, you know, going through that whole, so that was fairly traumatic. Um, and now, you know, having assurance that if you're saved, you're saved forever right. um, is such a blessing. A couple other things, um, one that has not been mentioned, but the no longer being in fellowship with fellow believers was mentioned mm -hmm. in our group, and that was, I thought, really insightful. Um, and then, uh, I think that was the only, those were the three. Yeah. And one of the things that we're going to see through First John, it's a beautiful tension. He's presenting this high standard, like live up to this. This is how you can tell. But also on the other hand, he's saying, yeah, we sin. And it's a, it's a beautiful tension that he's running um, throughout the entire book. A reason number seven, that people lack assurance. If you do not walk in step with the Holy Spirit, you may lack assurance. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led in the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ, providing we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The spirit, the spirit of adoption, there's more to go into there. Some would say that... Um, in Rome, adoptions required seven witnesses and then the connection with the sevenfold, sevenfold spirit. And there's a lot of you know, stuff you can go into there. But the spirit is what's there to bear witness to our spirit that we're actually Christ. And if you are walking in line with the spirit, you're going to experience that more so. Um, some of the ministries of the spirit is that the spirit illuminates understanding and gives us wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. He illuminates spiritual realities so that we see the truth. First Corinthians 2. Oh, that's me. Sorry. You're good. But just as it is written, things which 
eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. The Spirit opens our eyes to belief in the gospel, 1 John 4, 13-15. Acts 1-8, be ready. This is, uh, okay. this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Uh, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. It produces in us a fellowship with the Father. If Catch this, this will go right, right along with everything. You know what one of the main things with the Spirit is? It produces fruit. How do, you think, how do you think the Spirit bears witness to our spirit? What are all the other things in broader context of Scripture saying? Your fruit. It's one of the main ministries of the Spirit. Uh, finally, it empowers our spiritual service, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it produces in us this calmness, this spirit of adoption, um, and when we don't have that, we walk in fear and anxiety of being under condemnation still. Um, though he will testify that we are Christ, we can still grieve and suppress him. Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed, by the way. Another objective truth. We're running that gauntlet. Um, and then 1 Thessalonians. Do not quench the spirit. That's it. Two things. I think these quotes are appropriate to end on. They summarize what we've gone through here. Sinclair Ferguson writes, High degrees of true assurance cannot be enjoyed by those who persist in low levels of obedience. High degrees of assurance are not enjoyed by those who live at low levels of obedience. And then by Charles Spurgeon. The, the, the amount of goodness in a quote goes up with the length of the beard. It's proportional. Um, Charles Spurgeon. Whenever I feel that I have sinned and desire to overcome that sin for the future, the devil at the same time comes to me and whispers, How can you be a pardoned person accept and accepted with God while you still sin in this way? If I listen to this, I drop into despondency. And if I continue in that state, I should fall into despair and should commit sin more frequently than before. But God's grace comes in and says to my soul, Thou hast sinned, but did not Christ come to save sinners? Thou art not saved because thou art righteous, for Christ died for the ungodly. And my faith says, though I have sinned, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And though I am guilty, yet by grace I am saved, and I am a child of God still. And what then? Why the tears begin to flow, and I say, how could I ever sin against my God who has been so good to me? Now I will overcome that sin, and I get strong to fight with sin through the conviction that I am God's child. And that's the proper perspective right there. Guilt over sin, struggles with it, wrestles with it, realizes God's grace through faith. And that's why I love um, the quote, I have taken both my good works and my bad works, thrown them in one heap, left them aside, and run to Christ. The gospel is so simple, yet so profound in so many different ways. So simple a child can get it, and yet deep enough to drown a theologian. A little bit of theology is good for the soul. A lot of theology makes one mad, as they say. <laughs> so. All right. You want to pray, Danny? No. Absolutely. 
Heavenly Father, I just, I thank for this time where we just get to gather together in your name and just dive into scriptures. I ask that you work on each of our hearts in the way that we need working on. Help us always to be seeking to find that, that blessed assurance, that security in you. And if we are not secure, Lord, help us convict us hard and convict us in our hearts, Lord, and help us to be seeking after you earnestly with all we are and all we have. Help us to ask questions, even if they're hard. Help us to ask questions, especially if they make us uncomfortable. Yes. And help us always be continuing to grow up you. This is a tough ride. This is a tough walk. Like Night Dominic was saying, it's a marathon and it sucks at times. <laughs> but we know in the end, we get to experience the joy that is being with Christ. Yes. So always help us to have our eyes fixated on you, fixated on the cross, and help us to throw everything else aside and just run after you. Yes. And I pray all these things with my whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.